0: This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Welcome to another episode of the One Verse Podcast. I'm your teacher, Jeremy Myers. So far in Genesis chapter 2, we have seen that God has set up his temple, and the temple was finished in Genesis 2.17, which means that beginning with Genesis 2.18, which we're looking at today, the biblical story really begins. And I've been telling you as we've been going through Genesis chapter 2 that some foundational and shocking and elementary truths are coming. And we're going to see the first one of these today in Genesis 2.18. We're going to see something foundational about how God wants us to live life. And we're going to see something shocking, absolutely shocking about God's role in that life. Something you will never ever hear in church. At least I've never heard it. So I hope you are excited to see what that is today in Genesis 2.18. I know I am excited to share it with you. Before we get to that, I do want to read one review that came in recently. This one is from Bill P2 over on iTunes, and he says this, I've listened to many Bible-related podcasts over the years, and one verse is my favorite of all. Jeremy Myers offers fascinating and helpful insight into the scriptures. Well, thanks, Bill, for sharing that. I really, really appreciate it. And I don't read those for you people to you know I'm not trying to brag or boast or anything like that I, I just want to show my appreciation for leaving a rating and review on iTunes it does help other people find this podcast and if you appreciate it uh, leaving a rating and review over there is one way that you can do that as well as inviting other people Twitter, email, Facebook, whatever to uh, subscribe and listen to the podcast as well it's a great way to show your appreciation show your thanks I put I don't know 10 to 15 hours a week into preparing these podcast episodes for you and so it's a great way to show just say thank you I really thank you for listening for leaving the ratings and reviews it's a great encouragement to me so that I keep doing them and publishing them and putting them out on a related note I would love for you to buy my book over on Amazon it's the atonement of God and I don't know if you're big into theology or anything like that if you say atonement that sounds like a big theological word I don't know what the atonement is well listen It's not a theological egghead book. Uh, The first two chapters or so do discuss various theological atonement theories, but then after that, the book gets really, really practical. My wife, as she was reading it, was just impressed. Uh, She's my biggest fan, so I guess she has to be impressed. But she kept on saying, Jeremy, this is a book every Christian needs to read. I think so, (laughs) It's, it's one of the I think it's the best book I've ever written, just the truths and ideas it contains to help us see God in a brand new light, the way He is presented in Jesus Christ on the cross. It's completely nonviolent, completely forgiving, and totally loving. So go over to iTunes, search for "The Atonement of God" by Jeremy Myers, and you'll be able to pick up that book there. Uh, you can either get an ebook or paperback. Thank you very much. So Genesis 2:18. Says this, and the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Uh, I've been saying Genesis 2, 4 through 17 is a temple text. It really was introduced to us that way in Genesis 2, 1. Uh, but but uh, Genesis 2, 1 2, 3 was the seventh day of the first week of creation. And then the second creation account begins in verse 4. And there's some differences for that. We've talked about all that in the past. So Genesis 2, 4 through 17 is really just the construction, the setting up of the temple. Uh, God has built the earth his, in, in which his house will, will be built, his His temple in a sense, and then he has bring, brought his statue in and all the other things ne- needed uh, to to for, for the temple work to be carried out. Anyway, you can go back and listen. I'm not going to try to review all that. If you go back, uh, you can listen to those episodes on on Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 17. Beginning then in Genesis 2.18, we begin to see some of the foundational ideas, some of the most foundational ideas in the entire Bible. We're only going to see really one here in Genesis 2.18, and then another one in Genesis 2.19, and And it doesn't go that way, one each verse going forward. But um, today, I I do want to focus just on this one we see in Genesis 2.18. And I want to spend time focusing on these foundational truths because without them, you will never be able to understand the rest of Scripture. Uh, in, In fact, without them, you'll never really be able to understand life itself. So uh, these foundational ideas are really super important, not only for understanding scripture, but also understanding the day-to-day events that go on in our own lives. These these ideas are not just theological. They're not just scriptural, biblical truths. These ideas are foundational for all of life. And the first one of these we see in Genesis 2.18. And let me just tell you what the truth is. It's this. We are made for relationships. <laughs> now you say, Jeremy, I know that. Uh, we, you know, I've been building this whole thing up in your mind for weeks. These foundational truths you probably never heard before. You've never seen before. You've got to hear them. They're going to help you understand scripture in life. And then the very first one is that we're made for relationships. I mean, everybody knows that. It's not shocking and foundational at all. <laughs> uh well, hold on, hold on to your seats. We're going to see something quite shocking about it as we work our way through uh, Genesis two eighteen. Uh, most humans naturally know that we're built for relationships. We're supposed to be in relationships. I mean, from very beginning and birth, we 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 hunger for for the love of our parents and for friendships and to to to, to be with other people. Nobody wants to be alone. You know, even people who are introverted. You know, more on the introverted scale, really can't stand being completely alone for very long. I know this from experience. I am a relatively introverted person, but I once had a job that required me to be almost completely alone for about two months or so. Uh, and I thought it was going to be great. I brought this huge box of books. I was going to read the whole thing. I mean, there was work to be done, obviously, but I was going to be working, you know, eight to 10 hours a day. And then I figured I would have my entire evenings to just sit around for two months and do nothing but read with no no one to interrupt me, no distractions, nothing like that. I clearly remember though, that after about a week or 10 days, I literally thought I was going to go insane. I, I just remember longing to hear a human voice i even found myself I found, I found that i started talking to myself sort of like that uh, tom hanks movie where he's on that island i don't remember the name of it now Stra- he was stranded on that island he started talking to himself and he made that that hand volleyball wilson that he started talking to anyway i started started to feel like that uh, eventually i discovered uh, i was flipping through the radio i was out in the middle of nowhere and i didn't i couldn't get any fm stations I was just trying to find some human voice. I finally found I could barely pick up one AM radio station. It was conservative talk radio, and I had to listen to Rush Limbaugh. And um, so that's what I did, just so I could hear a a human voice. I listened to Rush Limbaugh on the radio. Uh, You've probably had similar experiences that in yourself. If you've ever gone through periods of uh, being alone then you might be nice for a while if you're of that sort or even if you just have a busy hectic time it's okay to be alone for a while but very rapidly being alone turns into deep loneliness and i believe that loneliness is one of the most debilitating and distressing experiences of human existence I mean, you think about it, humans can press through and persevere on the most difficult and trying circumstances in life, as long as there are other people along with us to help us through it. Famine and sickness and war and, and disaster and devastation, all sorts of things. Yes, they're difficult. Yes, they're trying. But we can usually get through them if there are people around with us. In fact, some people will even stay in the worst relationships imaginable just so they don't have to face life alone. Of course, you also maybe know that some of the worst experiences in life are when you are alone in a crowded room. You go to a party and nobody comes and talks to you and you are stuck off in a corner holding your drink and a cookie. Uh, That is a horrible experience, being alone in a crowded room. You might probably have also experienced one of the worst types of loneliness, at least the worst type of loneliness I've ever experienced, and that's that's the loneliness of a, a broken marriage. Uh, I, I often have thought that that is maybe the worst experience in all of life. If, if, if you've experienced it, then you know what I'm talking about. Uh, my wife, we're still together. In fact, things are better now than they've ever been in our entire marriage. We've been married almost 18 years now. So I can say this um, that we were able to to get through it, but she and I were talking about it this week as I prepared for this podcast, and and she brought it up, and I because uh, I was thinking it as well. But we have both experienced the deep loneliness of being in in a, in a broken marriage. Um, and, and the reason it's so bad is is because in a marriage, the other person that you're married to, your spouse, they're supposed to they're the one person on earth who knows you the most and is supposed to love you. And if they are the one person who knows you the most, and, and, and you are rejected by them, that is deep loneliness. Horrible loneliness. There may be no loneliness worse than the loneliness inside a broken marriage. Anyway, my, my wife and I, we've come through that, and it, uh, we're in a much better place now. And look, I, you might be saying, well, how did you come to I I can't tell. I mean, I could tell you, but... Even if I could, you know, I don't have 10 steps or three principles, nothing like that. There's Every relationship is different. Every marriage is different. Every perfect person is different. So, And I don't know your exact situation. I, I really can't provide you with any steps or principles so that you no longer feel lonely. But what I can do is show you what God says. I'm going to show you seven truths from Genesis 2.18. You might say, seven truths? There's not much in this verse. That's right. But, but there's seven things that I want to point out to you from this verse. And one of them is quite shocking, which I think will help you in whatever type of loneliness you might be experiencing, have experienced, or will experience, even if it is loneliness in a crowded room or loneliness in a marriage relationship. So um, we'll see sort of what God has done to help solve our loneliness. Seven things. First one, notice that God says here in Genesis 2.18, that it is not good to be alone. Now, I want to point out right from the start, you might be saying, Jeremy, the text says that Adam was alone. It's not good to be alone. But you've been talking about loneliness. And those are those two, two, two things are very, very different. And I know they are. I know there's a difference between loneliness and being alone, or being alone and being lonely. Right? I do know there's a difference. And at times, it can be very good and healthy to be alone. Whereas loneliness is, is usually neither good or healthy. All right, so, so today we're going to be talking a lot about loneliness, but I don't want you to think that I'm confusing loneliness with being alone. Um, what, what God says here in Genesis 2.18, it is not good to be alone. So while I, I, I do believe there are good ways to be alone, What was going on with Adam was the not-good way to be alone. And what we see here is that Adam was alone, but if his aloneness had continued, I believe God saw that it was rapidly going to turn into loneliness. If Adam had stayed in the condition of being alone, then it would have become loneliness— So that's why God says that it was not good. This was the not good type of being alone. Yes, there are good types of being alone, but this is not it. This is the the not good type of being alone. And by the way, notice uh, Genesis 2.17 mentioned the the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We talked about that in the last episode, and I I told you what it was and why that sort of, it was a a type of judgment, a, a way for God alone to determine what is good and what is not. And how he reserves that sort of judgment for himself. And so notice immediately after that, in verse 18, he shows us, he makes one of these determinations. He he declares something as being not good. And that's pretty significant in itself because everything in Genesis chapter 1 was, it, God saw that he made it, it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And at the very end, God saw all they made, and it was very good. And now we have the first thing here that is not good. And what is it? It is that The human, which God has made, is alone. It is not good to be alone. So that's the first thing. God says it's not good to be alone. While there are good ways to be alone, this thing here is not it. And this type of being alone was going to turn into loneliness if God didn't do something about it. In fact, maybe he recognized, I don't know if Adam recognized it, but maybe God recognized that loneliness was beginning to well up in Adam's heart and mind. Which brings us to the second truth that we see from Genesis 2.18, and and that that is this. Loneliness is a universal human experience. Uh, Even Adam, before he sinned, was experiencing this loneliness, this, this sense that he wasn't complete, this sense that he was missing something, and he didn't maybe quite know yet what it was, but... Um, loneliness isn't necessarily a result of sin because Adam was experiencing this before sin entered him into the world. And I can't help but think that as Moses wrote this, he was sort of thinking about himself and his observation of the Israelite people and everything he had experienced in Egypt. You know, being a Hebrew in the courts of Pharaoh, that's loneliness. And then he fled from there and was a shepherd out in the desert, that's loneliness. And And so I think that Moses is writing this. He's sort of also thinking about himself, writing about himself, and and not just himself, but even the human condition, the human experience in general. In fact, you you maybe don't know this, but did you know that it's very likely Moses was divorced? Speaking of of marriage relationships, it's very likely Moses was divorced. I I wrote about this in my book on the unpardonable sin. And uh, if you wanted to go see sort of the research on that, um it's it's called uh that's on amazon also it's called why you have not committed the unforgivable sin or unpardonable sin i can't remember which word i used there but look it up jeremy Myers. it's there uh moses was very likely divorced and so when he wrote this that adam it's not good for adam to be alone he's sort of realizing that he himself is alone and he might have been thinking the same thing this this is not good uh, but even then, you know, Moses is this great leader. He's surrounded by millions of Israelites. Everybody looks up to him. I believe that he experienced periods of great loneliness. You know, in, in Numbers 12.3, it says that that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Have you ever read that verse? You're like, what? <laughs> no humble person actually says that about himself. Uh, but I, I think that if you, if you go in and sort of look at that word humble, it doesn't mean humble at all. Moses is saying he was the most grieved, or the man who had experienced the most hardship in life. I think it means something more about like that. And I think that what Moses is saying there is that despite his leadership, despite how he was close with God and met with God on on Mount Sinai and all of this, that Moses experienced periods of great, great loneliness in his life and ministry. I think we see that in the life of Moses. We could go through and see that in the life of the prophets all the way throughout the Old Testament. Even when we get to Jesus, I believe that Jesus often felt lonely. We see this in John 1. I mean, he came unto his own and his own received him not. How's that for an experience of loneliness, of being alone? Uh, Jesus did experience the human condition of loneliness. Even as he went about his ministry, his closest friends, even his family rejected him, turned his back on him, didn't understand what he was saying, what he came to do, what he meant to do. All of these things, I believe, cause feelings of loneliness and rejection. Even when Jesus was on the cross, he, he, he felt abandoned and rejected by God. I wrote about that in my post uh, on, on Jesus' statement, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what Jesus cried from the cross. There's a post about that on my blog. You can go read that. I won't say anything more about it here. I'll put a link in the show notes to it. But uh, Jesus also experienced loneliness. So I'm just trying to show you that, that loneliness is a common human condition, a, a human experience. Adam had it. Moses had it. The prophets had it. Jesus had it. You and I have it. God Knows that we feel lonely, that we feel alone. And that's what Genesis 2.18 and the following verses are partly about. And that brings us to the third truth that we see here in Genesis 2.18 is that, and it's this, that God is with you in your loneliness. Uh, When you are lonely, it is sometimes helpful to remember that God is there with you, that God understands. In fact, uh, God grieves with you over your loneliness. I want you to see that here in Genesis 2.18. God saw that Adam was alone, and God said, oh, this is not good. Read the emotion there into Genesis 2.18. God isn't some cold deity up there making a scientific observation here about the state of his human beings. No, he he notices a lack in Adam, and he grieves that adam is without a relationship that adam is alone this is not good that's what he's that's what he's saying and so similarly in your life if you are feeling like you are alone if you are feeling lonely god looks at that and says oh i'm sorry that is not good now that that may not be a big encouragement to you <laughs> You don't need to be told that loneliness is bad. You know it's bad. You're experiencing it. When you are in the time of loneliness, it is utter blackness and darkness and like physical death almost when you're going through it. Okay. And that brings us to the fourth idea here from Genesis 2.18. And this, for me, is the most shocking truth in Genesis 2.18. Maybe one of the most shocking truths in all of Genesis 2. Here's where we get a truth that you will almost never read. Use that word almost. I'd never have. I would be surprised if you ever have. But I'm leaving it, you know, maybe someone else has. Anyway, here's the truth you will almost never read in any Christian book or hear any pastor preach. And it's this. When you are lonely, God is not enough. When you're lonely, God is not enough. One of the big problems in the Christian church today is that we often preach and teach that God is enough. You know, that God should be enough. If you are experiencing loneliness or loss in your life, turn to God. Press into God. Spend more time reading your Bible, praying, worshiping God. You know, when you go for counseling about loneliness, the counselor often tells you that you know, let God be enough. Let God be your, your spouse. Let God, you know, fill that void in your life, that sense of longing and that desire. <laughs> you know the main problem with this? God himself does not agree. Look, look, look again at Genesis 2.18. In the garden, who is Adam in a relationship with? God Alone. So far at this point in the text, it is God and Adam. Now, if all of these pastors and preachers and counselors and books were correct, then God would be enough for Adam. But God comes along and notice what he says It is not good that man should be alone. And we say, What? (laughs) He's not alone, he's got God. And God says, no, I am not enough. I made people to exist in relationships, and I do not count. (laughs) Do you see that shocking truth from this verse? Adam had God, but according to God, God is not enough. Now that is a shocking idea, isn't it? Yeah, and we'll come back around to it by the end of today's episode. But I want you to notice, first of all, what what God does in the following verses to correct the fact of man's loneliness. Uh, God sets out, and again, we'll see this in the next several episodes. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time explaining this. But God does three things, provides three things to help Adam overcome this thing in his life that is not good this this him being alone this uh, eventual experience of loneliness all right the first thing in verses 19 and following is that god provides animals to help with adam's loneliness so god gives animals to adam and so i don't know if you're feeling lonely then one of the things you could do is get some animals into your life that's one of the reasons god gave animals initially at the beginning And even here in Genesis 2:18 is to help humans with our loneliness, with our feelings of being alone. Uh, I have—I'm always constantly amazed. If you have pets, then you know this is true. Uh, We have three cats. I have three daughters, and I have three cats in the house. Sort of—it's not really one for each, but that's just sort of the way it worked out. And I'm always amazed that if one of my daughters is crying or hurt or upset or. Feeling down, I'm always amazed that it, it within thirty seconds it seems one of those cats seeks her out and jumps up and sits on her lap and just sits there, and as the daughter pets the cat, the daughter calms down. And I don't know what it is about this connection between humans and animals that God provided, but one of the things God provided animals to help humans in our times of distress and despair and loneliness. And if you have a pet, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It might be a dog, it might be a, it might be even. I don't know if it's possible goldfish or things like that, but God provides animals, all right? We'll talk about some of the animals and that sort of thing in the future. Second thing, then, this is number six, the sixth truth here that we see from Genesis 2.18, but it's the second thing that God prov- provides to help with Adam's experience of loneliness here, and it's this, that God provides work. He first provides animals, and then he provides work. Again, in Genesis 2.19, and the verses that follow, we'll see this in future episodes, that God gives Adam work to do. And again, if you've experienced loneliness, then you've seen this as well. When you're feeling lonely or alone, one good thing to do is, Im- is immerse yourself in work. Get busy. Go out and do something. You know, the simple act of moving your muscles and causing your brain to think goes a long way in alleviating your feelings of being alone. Uh you could say that work is very therapeutic for loneliness. All right, so animals, God gave animals, God gave work. Ultimately, the ultimate cure for loneliness is found in Genesis 2.21. Again, we'll be looking at this in future episodes. And this is the seventh truth here. God provides another human being. And this is where Adam's loneliness really gets solved. The one thing Adam ultimately needed was another human being. He needed... A human touch, a human, human presence. And so God created woman, a woman, to be with the man, so they could live in a relationship with each other. It goes back. Humans were made to be, to exist, to live in relationships. Now again, we'll be talking about the creation of the woman in future episodes. So all I'm doing here is pointing out that the ultimate cure for Adam's loneliness was not God but was another human being. Ultimately, animals were not enough, work was not enough, God himself was not enough. Adam needed another human being. People need other people. If you're feeling alone, if you're feeling lonely, let Genesis 2.18 be an encouragement to you. Just as it is not good to be alone, and just as God knows what it is like to be lonely, especially when Jesus is on the cross, we see that. And just just as God himself is not enough, and animals are not enough, and work is not enough, I imagine that you very likely want to be in a deep relationship with other human beings. That is good. Don't let anybody tell you not to seek that out. That is the way God made you to be. God made you to exist and live in relationships. This is the first and primary thing He wants for you. Here's the thing, though, I want you to recognize as we close out this episode. If you're lonely, know that you are not alone in your loneliness. This world is filled with lonely people. And I'm not saying this to somehow try to make you feel better. It's not like misery loves company. You know, well, get over it because everybody else is lonely. No, here's what I'm trying to say. When you are lonely, you need to recognize that there are lonely people all around you. Loneliness is part of the human experience on this earth. So when you're lonely... A lot of times we have the tendency, the temptation to believe that we are alone in our loneliness. That there's nobody else around us who is lonely. But that is not true. I guarantee that if you're sitting somewhere and there's people within 10, 15, 15, 20 feet of you, that almost all of them are lonely in one way or another. That means... That they are hungering and desiring for someone to love them just as much as you are. And for them, also, God is not enough. They need you just as much as you need them. I recently interviewed Kathy Escobar for my Theology.fm podcast. And she said something in that interview that really struck home with me. She, she works with a lot of troubled people in the city of Denver, and she said that she has found that one great weakness in the church today is that when people are facing problems such as grief or addiction or even loneliness, the church tells them to turn to God. <laughs> Maybe I got the idea from her, I'm not sure. But then what she said happens is these people try. They try to turn to God. They read their Bibles. They pray. They go into a room. They listen to worship music. They raise their hands to the sky. They attend worship services, but nothing happens. God never shows up. It never satisfies that aching and that longing for a genuine human presence. And so what she said is that she has found that when people are going through loneliness or grief or addiction or sickness, She says there is absolutely no substitute for human presence, a human touch, a human voice. God is not enough. We need humans, and God made us that way, and so we should chase after human relationships because that is what God wants for us. All this makes perfect sense what we've seen in Genesis so far. When God wants to do his work in his world, what does he do? He sends humans. We are the image and likeness of God, his emissaries, his ambassadors, his hands, his feet, his voice on this earth. When God wants to touch someone, he sends a human. When God wants to encourage someone, he sends a human. Sometimes in this world, we see lonely and hurting people all around us, and we say, God, how come you don't show love to that person? How come you don't show up to help that person? How come you don't touch that person, speak to that person, answer the prayers of that person? (laughs) And when we pray that to God, I'm convinced God looks to us and says, How come you don't? I want to love them, to help them, to touch them, to speak to them, to provide to them, provide for them, to answer their prayers. But you won't go, so I can't. When we cry out to God, God, where are you? God cries out to us saying, where are you? Look, as we close out this episode, let me me just provide three suggestions from Genesis 2 for how to deal with loneliness. First of all, do not think for a moment that God is enough. I cannot state that strongly enough. God himself indicates that he is not enough. God was not enough for Adam and God is not enough for you. Some people probably jump on me for saying that. What? You're saying God's not enough? No, God's saying he's not enough. (laughs) It's what it says right here in Genesis 2.18. It is not good for man to be alone. It was just God and Adam there in the garden and God says that is not good. God's the one that makes those decisions, not us. So uh, what does God do? He provides several ways to help us out when we're alone, and that's the second suggestion. If you're feeling lonely, get involved in some of these ways. Go get yourself a pet. Get involved with animals somehow. Go get a job. Or, or if you can't work, then start doing something to keep yourself active, your mind active, your muscles working. Uh, turn to human relationships. Those are the things that—these are the three things that God has provided. Animals, work, and human relationships. Thirdly and finally— Look, in times of loneliness, we often sit around feeling sorry and blue and waiting for someone to, you know, show up and be our friend. But remember that almost everyone is lonely. And so wherever you are right now, there are people around you who are also lonely. And the way you can beat your own loneliness is by being the hands and feet and voice to someone else around you who is also lonely. So don't wait around and hope that someone reaches out to you. Go reach out to someone else and see what sort of relationship God will bring into your life. As you love others, these others will end up loving you as well. That's the key to relationships. That's how they work. God has made us for relationships. And if you want a relationship, it begins most likely with you reaching out to build, touch a relationship, begin a relationship with somebody else. That is the key to no longer being alone. Look, if you have questions or comments about anything I've said today, please leave them in the show notes section over at redeeminggod.com slash Genesis 2.18. And also, don't forget, one of the things that might help you understand how much God loves you through other people might actually be that book of mine. I do talk about some of this in there. Go get The Atonement of God at Amazon. Uh, Again, it's not a dry and dusty book uh, on, you know, the abstract theological concept of the atonement. I know I named it the atonement of God. It's sort of a play on words because God is being atoned in Jesus. We are finally coming to recognize what God is like, who he really is in Jesus. So uh, go get that book, um, download it, read it. I know you'll enjoy it. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next time as we pick back up in Genesis 2.19 and another foundational truth for understanding life and theology.